and welcome back to Skeptics and Seekers. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Dale, representing the Christian or Seeker side. And I'm the other guy, David, the Skeptic. Excellent. And uh, we have a good show for you guys today. So so this is going to be uh, the Coherence of Christian Theism, part two. Uh, so if you remember from months back, I think it was back in January sometime, uh, we did the Coherence of Christian Theism, part one. And what we covered there uh, was God as a personal being. Uh, so we're discussing God's a- traditional attributes and whether they are logically coherent, not necessarily whether it's true or something like that, just are they coherent from a logical standpoint. Um, and we discussed uh, what that means. Um, and in terms of God, we're looking at his traditional attributes. So we started with him being a personal being and also being a spiritual being or a, a disembodied person. Uh, that And that led into my supplemental series on substance dualism and trying to prove that a disembodied person is logically coherent via proving that it's actually true. Um, so what we're going to do this time, uh, it's, it's not going to match our blog. So me and David have sort of agreed to, rather than drawing this out and splitting up, you know, three doing three attributes at a time from multiple parts, uh, we'll just get it all done at once. Um, we'll look at all of God's attributes at once um, for, for the sake of the audience that might not be interested in hearing it be drawn out and discuss three at a time and that sort of thing. So, yeah, uh, what I'll do is um, first, so we'll just describe um, the other attributes that haven't been covered already in, ter- in terms of... Um, so the, the first one is... God is not just a personal, spiritual, or disembodied um, being. He is also uh, omnipresent. Um, So the way I'll define that is he's cognizantly aware of and causally active at every place in space or spatial location. Um, He's also also, um, eternal. The Bible makes clear that God... Is eternal and rather than get into details since we're doing everything at once just there are different modes uh, of eternality in in terms of how God could be eternal so the fundamental ones are he could be timeless um, or he could be temporal in some way you know either he's temporal just like us um, or he's in some hyper dimension of time or something like that Um, but yeah I, I won't get into those details since we're doing everything at once and just say yeah, God's God's eternal, and there are different conceptions of that. Um, let, let me jump in just a little bit here. I know that you're doing, uh, you're laying out your case, and I usually don't interrupt there, but I, I don't actually mind getting into some of that. In fact, I, uh, I don't, I don't want to do any pushback right now, but I did want to do to ask for a clarification um, on some of these, and so I. Um, as as you were doing them, so that just so that I understand in my own note taking, and so that the Christian understands where you are coming from uh, with these things, because there are different ways of looking at them. Yes, and I don't want to prepare a rebuttal uh, based on looking at it the, uh, in a way that you're not. And so, if, if you would allow me to just ask a question about the spatiality, for instance, of God, um, he uh, so. In a way, uh, we are all um, spaceless, 
in 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 a way. So it, 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 let me mm-hmm. let me just let me just try to flesh that out because I there is a there is a way of understanding God's spacelessness that may be different from yours. So I am in my apartment, mm-hmm. um, and in fact, I'm in my living room. Now, it, it is it is right to say that I am occupying my living room. But even even though I am only in my chair in the living room, but I'm occupying the living room. And it's it's also fair to say, well, I'm I'm in my apartment. Even though there are walls separating me between the living room and the kitchen, you know, my my presence goes beyond the place where my butt happens to be sitting. Uh, this is this is part of the language that we use. In fact, as I as I speak, I'm I'm manipulating airwaves, and in fact, I I you know contributed to what's going on in the kitchen, even though I'm in the living room. So you can say I'm in my apartment. You can also say I'm in my neighborhood. Uh, I am in uh, the city of Orange. I am in New Jersey. I am in America. I am in the world. I am in the universe. And so in that sense, I am um, in this this broader sense everywhere. I am I am a citizen of the universe. I am occupying it right now. Now, um, so you can you can say that of God. God is in the universe. Um, do you mean it that way, or do you mean it in a more specific way that God is is consciously present in each individual part of the universe. Do, do you understand the question that I'm trying to ask? Um, I, I think so. So so here's what I would say. So God is sort of uh, relates to the his omnipresence. So it relates to the universe sort of like how our soul relates to our bodies in a in a, um, partially. Um, so our souls are whole numerically present in our bodies. God is whole numerically present in the universe. Um, and I, I've defined that as being cognitively aware of every spatial place uh, and causally active. Um, so when I'm saying God, how, do, how does that relate to space? So, so God is not like us, uh, our souls, they do not have space. God does not have spatial extension. Uh, he's like an unextended point. Um, now that's like us. It's, that's like the human soul related to the body. However, God's different from us in that our souls have a spatial location present where our bodies are. Um, God, I believe, and this is controversial. There, there. It's not obvious. I, I will admit that. Uh, for hopefully, the audience will appreciate that. Um, um, I, I personally tend towards the position that God is spaceless in in the sense that he doesn't he also doesn't have a spatial location either. Uh, does that answer your? Well, I think it does, but it just it it leaves me a little bit confused as to what this means. But like I said, I wasn't trying to push back on your idea. I was just trying to understand how you defined it. Yeah. Well, he he's he's aware of everything. Uh, that takes place. That's the the cognitively aware part. Okay. Uh, and he, By, all... So if if I can just define awareness as just something I can understand, like he can see 
everything. He's not limited by a set of eyes and what's in front of him. He can he can somehow see everything everywhere at once and and understand it all. Is that is that what you're saying? Um, if if by see you mean it in the biblical anthropomorphic sense, then yeah. Um, but but I'm te- from a technical philosophical standpoint, it it's think of his omniscience, like he knows all the true propositions and that sort of thing. Um, yes, but if he's aware of me and what I'm doing right now, then in in and he's aware in all of the ways that a person can be aware, then then vision Mm -hmm. would be a part of that awareness would it not i mean can Mm -hmm. you say that he's aware of everything i'm doing but he can't see me yeah i I don't i don't know if god necessarily sees the same way human beings do he he obviously doesn't have eyes um or that sort of thing so i i I don't know that i would i would say i would think that he would have something that allows him to see what's going on i don't know um yeah i'll just take a position of agnosticism on that front i I don't know that we could say he he literally sees in some sense that he has a sensation of sight um maybe he does maybe doesn't okay so uh so once again if so let's say if i get on the phone with you like I am now, essentially. Mm-hmm. I am not physically in uh, you know, where you are, mm-hmm. but I am aware, uh, at least in a limited way, of what's going on where you are. So oh, is, is, okay. is that what you're saying, that, that God is who's kind of, he's aware in that sense and therefore he's everywhere? Because I can kind of turn on the TV and look at 500 channels at once, and then you could say, well, I'm everywhere because I'm aware of some of the things that are going on all over the world. Yeah, that, that would be a helpful analogy to see that it's, it's coherent, that someone could be aware of things even when they're not physically present in a, in a right. place. But I, but, but I have location. Yeah, but I'm... I'm saying god yeah but god doesn't it, location isn't necessary to be cognitively aware um of stuff right it, it's sort of related to god's omniscience which i haven't gotten to yet it, right. it's just a way of saying god's omniscient that's fine i'm just so i'm just clarifying your your idea of god's awareness mm-hmm. uh god's spatiality and how that might work so i'm you so this this is serving a purpose and so i'm going to let it go there i i have a slightly better idea of where you're coming from but i i i, I still find it a, a little confused but mm-hmm. i'm i'm getting there so I, I i will let you proceed with your um with your points now I, I just needed some clarification there okay yeah perfect so so yeah so omnipresence as, as i said he's, he's cognitively aware um in a strictly minimally in a strictly logical sense like it, it, god it's just another way of saying god's omniscient um and the other part is he's causally active he can cause things to happen in every place in space um okay so uh, so I've covered, so and God's eternal. Um, also, God is necessary. Um, so he's logically necessary or metaphysically. Before you get to necessary, let me let me just ask about the causally um, active. Um, 
it, it, are there any limits on um, his causal activity? Sure. Um, for for instance, I'm causally active. Once again, using the same example, where you are right now, mm-hmm. because as I ask questions, I am causing you to react to them. Mm-hmm. I'm not physically located there, but I'm causally active there. Yes. So it is, is that the sense you mean? Now, there are obviously some limits on what I can achieve f- from here. Yes. But, but I'm still causally active there in some ways. So I have awareness, but it's not as much awareness as if I would have if I were physically there. That's why I was asking earlier, does God yeah. have any limitations on... on... Yeah. yeah, these are good, good questions. And yeah, so, so in the first sense, causally active, that, that's in the same way as cognitively aware is related to omniscience. This is related to God's omnipotence. So there, there are limits based on the definition of what it means for God to be omnipotent. Um, however, there's a difference in the way, in the sense that you are cognitively aware through intermediary means. Um, I would say God is causally active in the same way our soul is causally active with our bodies. It's a direct, immediate causation um, that doesn't take place through intermediary mechanisms. Um, now, as to how that interactionism takes place, um, I, I don't know. As I, as I said in my substance dualism part four series i i don't have a an exact answer as to how it works with our it just it's a direct immediate cause and effect um relation although with our soul it that's actually not true um which i didn't say in part four but i wanted to keep it simple because there is the intermediary mechanisms from our brain states causing things to cause my hand to raise but in the sense that, okay, my soul causes that original physical response. That's that's what I'm saying. That's a direct, immediate cause and effect. So, so yeah, hopefully that makes sense. That's, that's sure. what I mean by God. Is. Sure, I'll, I'll challenge it later. I was, <laughs> but I just want a clarification for now. Sure. All right. Um, so, uh, yeah, so God is logically necessary as well, or metaphysically necessary. Um, I won't go into too much because I know David doesn't like this, but if you remember my possible world, possible world semantics, it's just saying that God exists in every single logically possible world. Um, That seems like a coherent concept to me. Um, So yeah, I'm saying that's coherent in the same sense some mathematicians um, could say that one plus one equals two is logically necessary. It, this is true in every single possible world. Um, so that's what I mean by saying he's logically necessary. It's it's impossible um, for God not to exist um, or to obtain in a possible world. Um, then, okay, so these are going to be at additional attributes just talking off the top of my head that aren't a part of my blog. Um, so God is also in terms uh, immutable. Um, so immutability says that God can't change and that sort of thing. Uh, and there are different conceptions as to what that means. Um, no, I take a more dynamic view. So I, I think that, I don't think that God is totally immutable in the same sense that Thomas Aquinas or Catholics might, or, 
uh, my my own church is very Calvinistic. God is just like a, a, a timeless block. He, he doesn't change at all. Um, everything where the Bible talks about him, uh, you know, in anthropomorphic language or relating to creation, that that's not true. It's an anthro somethingism. Um, he's he's like a, a, a four dimensional block kind of thing in, in time and just there's no change. I don't think that's the biblical position. I, I think that the Bible makes it clear that God is immutable in certain restricted senses. He, he will never change his character, um, for example. Uh, or, yeah, he won't break his promises or, and stuff like that. Um, but, I don't, but I do think that God is capable of certain lateral changes. Um, so the reason it's controversial for, for some Christians to say, no, God has to be totally immutable is because, okay, well, if you're saying God changes in any sense, he's either changing for the better or for the worse. Um, so there's a non-lateral change, and that can't be the case. If God is a maximal great being, a perfect being, there, there can't be any improvement or diminishment. Um, but I think that there are certain lateral changes that could take place. Um, and yeah, I don't know if you, you know, examples could be knowledge of certain temporal facts. If you, depending on which theory of time you believe in and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, uh, that's my position on God being immutable. I, I think it, the Bible's only really getting at, um, he's immutable in terms of his internal character and this, and this sort of thing. Uh, it's, it's not, uh, J.I. Packer gave about a list of five different things that God is, can be said to be immutable for. Now, there's a related attribute um, called impassibility. Um, and this means basically that God cannot, in response to, um, you know, God, uh, you know, God repents. Let, let's use that. After the flood, he repents. They'll say, oh, no, 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 God can't experience any, he's not affected emotionally in any negative way by creation. He is totally other, he has no, uh, he's not affected by by us emotionally in any negative way. He, that The repentance is just an anthropopathos, uh, I think is the word uh, off the top of my head. So, you know, it's, it's, it's in the same way when we say, oh, God has eyes that's an anthropomorphism they'll also say well when it says god repents this is just an anthropopathos he it's it's you know human empathy and that sort of thing but it's not real i reject that position i i think when it says god grieves or god repents or he's angry um that means that he's experiencing the same emotions that human beings the same negative they're not they're, no emotions are negative but the same from a human perspective, what we consider negative emotions, and he is affected by what we do. When we reject him or sin, this affects God emotionally in terms of evoking these emotional reactions. Um, however, there are there are obvious differences. When I say God gets angry or jealous, um, there's he only does so in a morally perfect way. So he has a righteous anger. Uh, or a righteous jealousy, whereas humans, because we're sinful creatures, sometimes, uh, most of the times, and perhaps even all of the time, um, 
our motivations, our, our emotions are tainted by sin. There's a, a selfish form of jealousy rather than the selfless form of jealousy that God always practices. Um, you know, there's there's a righteous anger. It's, I'm right to get angry at hypocrisy or sin or that sort of thing. Uh, where it gets muddled up is if it's a selfish anger and you know it's based on pride you you bruise my ego and that sort of thing and i'm going to get revenge uh you know some of the comments from last week there was some of that going on i I have to admit um i was not exhibiting always exhibiting a righteous anger in the way god does so uh that's that one um oh god okay god's aseity um so this is to say that God exists a say. He, he is the creator and sustainer of everything in creation. Um, this, this relates to everything from physical objects, uh, you know, laws of nature to uh, abstract uh, propositions and, and, every, and everything, that, everything that exists in creation. I've also- got a question about the aseity thing. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, finish finish your thought, but I um, that's one that I I also yeah. like to ask before you move on to the next one. Sure. So okay. So depending, so there are a myriad of positions, and and I just want to say, please, um, you know, skeptics, if you if you are intellectually curious, I know you usually usually aren't about the these sorts of things, um, but even even if you just want to learn to how to attack Christianity. Um, or for Christians that want to get a good sense on on some of these attributes and that. So William Lane Craig has done a defender's class, and I'm going to put in a link to the entire series in the sources in the blog here. Um, it, it's one of the best out there. I mean, it, you don't have to read anything if you don't want it. it they're just videos, but he, he's teaching a class, and he goes into exquisite detail describing the different positions on this. Uh, he has Q&A from the audience, and, and the audience asks pretty good questions at times, questions that you guys uh, might be asking yourselves. So yeah, I, I highly recommend you you check out the Doctrine of God, um, and I'll put the link up uh, from William Lane Craig, his Defenders class. It's, it's really good on this topic, especially. Um, so so yeah, so in terms of God's aseity, um, there are me, um, dozens of positions that one can take um, on this, and that, this was something I wanted to Make sure I do my research on. Obviously, since we're doing it all at once, I'm I'm not prepared to speak off the cuff apart from generalities. But the position that I take is so I I take a realist position with regards to things like you know numbers and that sort of thing. But I'm a, a, I'm in the mainstream of Christianity. I, I take um, a divine conceptionalist view. So things exist as thoughts in the mind of God. One plus one equals two is a thought in the mind of God and you know, without creation or that sort of thing, physical objects exist as thoughts in the mind of God. Uh, this is called a divine conceptionalist uh, perspective. So that that's my view on divine aseity. Um, seems coherent to me, but let's see what David's going to ask about it. I kind of forgot my question now. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't write it down. Divine aseity, he's the creator, sustainer. Uh, of everything oh yes um so uh, by this do you mean that um 
God sustains things moment by moment, and if he stopped actively sustaining, the universe would fall apart? Or do you mean he sustains things in that he set the laws of the universe in place, and he has, in fact, stopped uh, you know, activity, and they continue to, sus- to sustain themselves? Uh, so the the former, um, yeah. If, if God is not actively sustaining the universe, it'll just cease to exist. Okay, so I, I thought that's what you might say. So in terms of numbers, which I know that you think are immutable uh, things, but you say they are things that exist in the mind of God, mm-hmm. are, are you suggesting that if God stopped thinking the thought? that one plus one is two, that it would stop being two? Uh, so God can't stop thinking that. Okay, well, but f- I, I know that from your perspective, God can't stop existing, but you were able to answer that question. So in, in the same spirit of that question, if God stopped thinking that one and one is two, would one and one stop being two? No, I, I didn't say God would stop thinking about creation. Um, it would be he would stop actively sustaining it. Okay, but if um, God stopped actively sustaining one in one, would it stop being two? I'm just, I'm just trying to understand. Part of his essential nature to think thought. I mean, God God can't stop thinking, uh, having thoughts about. Okay, so if there was world. if there was no God, would one in one be two? No, there there wouldn't be anything. There wouldn't be anything. There would be no one plus one equals two. There would be no propositions or or anything. Nothing would exist without God. That's what God's aseity, the doctrine of God's aseity, is all about. Okay, so I I almost got you there. <laughs> so I will I will quit pressing here. But I think that the listener kind of understands what I'm getting at. So I'm going to be. Uh, I, I don't. What are you trying to? What's your point? Because God can stop sustaining creation, that doesn't mean He stopped sustaining a a thought about creation. That can never go away. He'll for eternity before before creation. The wrong way to say it, but even without creation, He still has thoughts about creation. The proposition about these this possible world still exist existed as an unactualized possible world. It just what wasn't. I'm what I'm challenging is that. Um, there are, you know, basic things about the universe that exist in the mind of God as as real things, and that's why they exist. I will be challenging your your entire proposition on numbers when you get to that podcast. If, you know, maybe hopefully next week. Um, but uh, the idea that you know something like numbers is a is a, a thing in actuality as opposed to merely a um, property or even a description uh, of relationships, uh, not in fact real things. And so if it is the way you describe it, then theoretically, if God stopped holding the universe together, then numbers wouldn't exist anymore. And the um, idea of one and one and equals two would be wrong because it's only right because it exists in the mind of God that way. Mm-hmm. And I am suggesting that that is utter BS. 
Okay. Okay. Uh, so so yeah. So they. Just to clarify, so David is taking in what's called an anti-realist position on numbers or abstract things, and guess what? That's that's fair enough. I I promised it. It's it's not obvious that my notion divine conceptualism is true. It it is a majority position, and it has been the majority position traditionally in Christianity. I, I believe it or not, I I tend to take the mainstream view on this, and and I actually disagree with William Lane Craig, who who's who spent years researching this and and just recently put out a, a book uh, about specifically God's aseity. So so William Lane Craig would agree with David here. He's an anti-realist in regards to numbers and that sort of thing. And there there are several different positions. I I would suggest check out you the audience check out William Lane Craig's um, presentation of that. Um, but yeah, as as for me, um, no, I, I take the divine conceptualist route. Um, I, I am a realist in regards to that. So so yeah, we can discuss that. Um, another thing, uh, God's. I was going to get into God's simplicity, but I've I had specific things I wanted to mention about that, and I haven't researched it, so I've, I've for, I don't know offhand what I wanted to say about it. But there's a sense where God just is, introduce us to what it what it means. Um, so there are different, again, there are different views, but it, it's just saying that God is, is a, a simple entity. Um, he, he's not complicated or composed of divisible parts. Like he can't, it doesn't make sense to divide God any more than it makes sense to, you know, can, can there be 50% of a soul or something like that? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, he, he's not composed of indivisible, indivisible parts, um, and that ex extends to he's not divisible in terms of his attributes either. Like some people have tried to come up with objections based on that. Um, God is simple in that way, but I don't I don't take a traditional Thomistic approach. I think he goes too far in his notions of simplicity. But yeah, I would need to. I'm not prepared to get into details on that since I I didn't I wanted to research certain things about that. But yeah, that in a nutshell, that's what I mean. God God's simple. So um, if if you slice off any part of God, you would have the whole God. You cannot slice off a part of God. That that's what I'm saying. Like there is no, there is no divisible. You can't divide God up into parts or something. Like you can't <laughs> take a knife. Right. He, he well. So he doesn't have arms and legs and cells and corks and things there's there's just this one thing that is god correct yeah okay that's all i meant okay um okay um uh, and then what else so we also have uh the ones that people are are probably familiar with as well that god is omnipotent um so he is all powerful or able to do everything he is able to exert control uh, over everything that it is logically possible for him to control. Um, so that, yeah, that's that's sort of the definition. I mean, the, the very definition entails logical coherence in it. So, I mean, it, it's going to be pretty hard to dispute that. Um, I don't know. We'll see if David's going to try or what. Um, there's God's omniscience. Um, so here... Um, so again, similarly, God knows all uh, logically possible 
true propositions. Um, he has knowledge of, of all true propositions is how I um, define omniscience. Uh, this is, uh, so this means that there are, there's some knowledge that humans can have, for example, that God can't uh, or doesn't have. Uh, he, he doesn't have knowledge of what it's like to be a sinner um, or what it, you know, the quality of what it feels like to be Dale Glover. Um, that's logically impossible for someone, for God to know, uh, to have that kind of experiential knowledge. Otherwise, he'd be a schizo. You know, he, he's, he is everyone. Um, and that sort of, and he, he has knowledge of what it is to be, to be not God. Um, for example, so that that's just logically incoherent and, and impossible. So there is that qualification on omniscience um, that includes various forms of knowledge. You know, I'm a, I'm a molness, so I believe that there are middle knowledge uh, propositions that correspond to God's middle knowledge. Um, and then the last one is omnibenevolence. Um, God is morally perfect. Um, he he is the, you know, he he never sins he never does what's evil he always does what what is logically necessarily morally good as defined by his own essential nature um so yeah, i think i think that's all the attributes and certain ones of certain ones of these attribute these attributes i'm going to be highlighting um I, it, later on in, a, in an upcoming show to say that God is what, what we call a maximally great being. Um, and I'm going to be trying to use an ontological argument to prove that he exists. So, you know, some of these attributes that I'm going on about aren't actually a part of the ontological argument or aren't necessary for uh, the ontological argument. The immutability is just not a part of it. The impassibility is not part of it and, or that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, the, I want to make it clear my opinions are not obvious on all these things. Some of them are controversial. There are Christian. There is room, uh, biblically, to disagree on what it means for God to be eternal, for example, uh, or for God to be immutable, um, or yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, that's that's my take. Those are all the attributes I can think of offhand to talk about. Okay, so let me uh, dive right into. Uh, this idea that God, uh, you were talking about God being all powerful, that he could do only those things that are logically possible. Yeah. And you, you use that argument in a few places. And so I wanted to gently push back against that because I actually don't agree with it. <laughs> um, even as a Christian, I, felt uncomfortable with giving God even that kind of limitation. And here's why there's a lot about Christianity that's not logically possible. And Christians, if they're good at anything, it's living with paradox, uh, things, things that are logically not possible, logically not sensible, but we will, we will say, you know, when we have to believe something that's logically nonsensical, we'll just call it a mystery. But, but when you want to keep God out of trouble, you say, well, he can only do that which is logically possible. So I, I see that as a, a double standard. Uh, I don't think Christians have any problem ascribing things to God that are not logically possible. 
Um, well, that, well, I do, uh, for example, and I know plenty of Christians that, that do. Um, maybe some lay Christians are comfortable with doing that. Um, but they're, they are, I, I have to say, they, they are obviously wrong. Um, and I'm being restrained and careful when I use the word obviously. Um, I do mean it in this case. I, I do think that if you say God is capable of making one plus one equal eight, that is logically incoherent, and you're wrong, uh, plain and simple. I have no doubt, zero percent doubt. I'm one hundred percent knowledgeable that. And yet he's able to take a piece of fish uh, and some bread and feed five thousand. He can make one plus one equals eight if he wants to. He's not- able. To, he's able to. Um, have a pregnant version that's that's logically incoherent uh, also and yet that's christianity we are uh, fed uh, nonsense about the trinity uh th- three and three and one persons nonsense uh go as far down the trinity rabbit hole you go and it's just logically impossible. We just have to accept it as a mystery. So I I disagree with you uh, that Christians aren't asked to believe things that are logically impossible. Okay. Uh, okay, so good. So I get where you're coming from. This is something that we've discussed in private. So the, the laws of nature in the first place are not metaphysically necessary. Um, so... Yes, uh, certain acts that God does violate the laws of nature, um, but that's not to say that he's violating laws of logic that are necessary or or mathematical truths which are logically necessary. Um, So that, yeah, those kind of things aren't really a problem unless you're artificially saying that the laws of nature are metaphysically necessary in some sense, and I, I don't think you can establish that, I think the majority of scientists would be happy to agree with me. Stephen Hawking would agree with me on that. Um, oh, but, you know, we, we I, I hear Christians all the time say it's logically incoherent to talk about a married bachelor. Correct. Well, yes. I, don't, I don't see how that's different than talking about a pregnant version. It, it's just that one of them is a part of Christian lore and the other isn't. So this gets into semantics then, right? So it's, it depends what you mean by the, when you spell out what those words mean. What, once someone understands what a married bachelor is, they, they entail a logical contradiction. Uh, a pregnant virgin isn't necessarily a logical contradiction. Well, I, I respectfully disagree. <laughs> well, well, then entail, what is it? She, she is someone who is net virgin part, She's never slept with a man, so she's never been in a position to get pregnant through normal, natural means. But yet she's pregnant. She is with child through non-natural, ordinary means. So there's different senses. There's no contradiction, right? There's no violation of the law of non-contradiction because there are different senses uh, that are entailed in terms of these statements, right? Like you're you're just saying, well, there's only one way to get pregnant, and pregnant means you have to have s- sex with a man in an ordinary way. Um, and since the virgin's denying that there she had sex with a man in an ordinary way, therefore there's a contradiction. Well, I would I would agree with that. 
Um, but we would quibble over, well, what does it mean to be pregnant? Then? There are different ways someone can get pregnant. And that avoids the contradiction. Does that, does that make sense? Well, I, I understand your effort there. I reject your effort, but we'll, I'll be happy to put a tag of agree to disagree <laughs> okay. Okay. on, on that. that. That's a good, and that was a good thoughtful objection. So thank you for, for that. Um, the, but I, yeah, I would also say that the Trinity, you know, that, that yeah. also fits in that category. Uh, it's one of those things that the human mind, I, I still contend this. I don't care how you conceive it. I don't care how you formulate it. It's a heresy um, by someone's way of thinking. You can't, you can't formulate it in a way that's not a heresy. You can't picture uh, it the way Christians like to try to talk about it. It's something that you just have to accept as one of those things that, well, it's a mystery. I don't know how it works. You throw your hands up and you say, well, God can do anything. Yeah, so so with the Trinity, uh, I'm not going to get into details, too much details on this, because um, as we'll be finding out the next time it's my topic, um, I'm going to be doing the final part of the coherence uh, of Christian theism, uh, and that's going to be on Christian-specific doctrines, the Trinity and the Incarnation. Are they logically coherent, and what what might it mean? So I'm I'm going to resist the urge to to get into details about that, but trust me, they they are logically coherent. Um, but um, yeah, the, okay. There, there is a, an underlying objection here. So, so David's saying that Christians um, tend to to. No, there's two objections. So number one, they, they tend to like mystery. They can't figure it out. And so they just say, oh, okay, uh, I, I don't know what the answer is. I'm just going to turn off, turn off my brain and, and just be content with, I don't know what the answer is. And I think that's fine. I mean, the, num, number one, not everyone's as smart. There are things that I can't figure out. I'm not at that level. And I just say, okay, well, I'm just happy feeding ignorance. I, I don't, I don't know yet what the, the answer is to that and and that should be seen as heroic i mean skeptics do that all the time and they 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 boost themselves up in pride like see how humble i am i i don't know the answer to what what caused the origin of life i don't know what uh how the universe uh started with the big bang or or what explains the uh you know what caused the universe or something like that um you're right you're allowed to say you don't know um and Christians can can do that if if they aren't privy um, to an answer that they understand, then they can just say, "Well, I, I don't know, but I have I have faith that there is an answer out there." Um, okay. Well, the I, so I, just second, so you know, I I agree uh, with your sentiment there. I'm so I'm not going to be pushing back on that at all. Part of part of my objection, though, was that Christians are perfectly happy to accept things that seem to be logically incoherent yeah. when when it is important to their theology. But when when they need to give God some wiggle room, they will say, oh, yeah, God can't do things that are logically coherent. That's that's the mm -hmm. objection. It's a kind of a hypocrisy objection. Pick one. Sure. Yeah. And I will agree with you. Uh, you know, I will agree with you. I think that Christians that do that are, are not doing us any favors. That's that's the wrong position to take to embrace logical incoherence to, you know, try and get get God off the hook or something like that. Uh, but there was a, there was a second underlying point. Um, 
that I've forgotten now, but it, it's important to. Um, so the, do you remember what the you mentioned two things? So the Christians embrace mystery and incoherence, and there is something else that you said before that. Do you remember? That that was so four and a half minutes ago. Yeah, no, it was a good one though. It's important for me to get that out. What the audience does not know is that um, I was having some terrible, terrible knee pain last night. I took a, a whole tramadol, and um, because uh, I get the opioid itch, I also took a Benadryl, uh, and that Benadryl was closer to this morning than last night. So, yeah, if <laughs> you're you're lucky that I can string two thoughts together. <laughs> Remembering what I said four and a half minutes ago, roll back the tape, people. I don't have a clue. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll just. Listen. I am I fighting. I've been fighting with one lobe tied behind my back here. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. When I listen to it, if I remember what that point was, I'll leave it in the comments just so people know. So. All right. All right. Cool. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm. I'm good on. On that. Um, okay. So are you ready for my main objection to uh, your coherence argument? Yes. Okay. So um, everything I've said so far is just a matter of clarification, except the last thing, which I think is a legitimate objection. But here's why I can't fully interact with this topic. Um so there, there are there are a couple of things going on here for me. I think maybe the, it's hard for me to think of what the main one is, but I'd say at this moment I feel like my main objection is that there's simply no way for you or anyone else to know the properties of a god, unless you invented the god. You simply can't know, and so we are. We are debating something as unknowable as what God's favorite T-shirt is. Um, it's you, you just can't know. There's no there's no book. Uh, you know, I, I think that I can show that the Bible is not a suitable book to try to figure out God's properties because it's a little bit all over the map here. Um, and unless God is, you know, maybe just whispering in your ear. Uh, in, in telling you things a la uh, Natalie Collins style, there's just no way for you to know whether God is immutable or eternal or omnipotent or any of that stuff. Well, why don't we just ask her and she'll settle the debate once and for all? I, if only I could. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Sorry about that. Okay. Yeah, but so, uh, and look, I, did, I didn't mean any slight against Natalie. I, I mean, this is this is Natalie's uh, view uh, about God. God tells her things, and it would be it would be nice if I could meet one of these people who God's talked to, and you know, get some specific questions answered because that would that would be really helpful. Yeah. Um, and in this case, I mean, I know that you've got a kind of a house of cards built up as to why you believe these things. But at the end of the day, I'm happy to just nod and say, yeah, that's, that's a nice God you've got there. But you can't possibly know whether this describes uh, God or not. Yeah, so, yeah, and that, okay, so there's a fair point in there. Um, so how do Christians 
ascribe or, or know about God's attributes and that sort of thing. Um, so there, there are two main sources, and I think I outlined this in part one, uh, if I remember. But um, so yeah, in the first place, there's the Bible. There's divine revelation. God reveals to us um, some of these attributes that I've been discussing here. Um, however, uh, David's wrong to say that they contradict each other. I know he believes that, but I, I don't believe there's a contradiction in the attributes in the Bible. But it is true that the Bible is underdeterminative in terms of God's attributes. It doesn't give us all these specific details uh, and that sort of thing. That it, it, it doesn't go all the way in terms of describing the nature of these attributes and that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, the, the Bible is, divine revelation is supplemented by what's called perfect being theology. Uh, and this is another source um, of knowledge for God's attributes that takes advantage of what the Bible, the raw data that the Bible gives us, and then extrapolates out through logical reasoning and that sort of thing as to, you know, what sort of God, what what attributes and to what degree God has these attributes and that sort of thing. So that's what the ontological argument does, right? That's what a maximally great being is. The, the Bible doesn't describe God as being a maximally great being. This is a part of perfect being theology, which supplements our knowledge based on the raw data and scripture. And yeah, we, we put thing, two and two together and that sort of thing. I mean, the, the Trinity itself, the term the Trinity, it, this was a concept that came, you know, later on, 220 AD or thereabouts with Tertullian. Um, but yeah, he's taking the raw data of scripture and then he's using head canon or and that sort of thing to put it together and put a helpful little label on it. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with using perfect being theology or philosophy to help us come to grips with and, and spell out in more detail beyond what the Bible gives us as to what these attributes are and what they entail. Uh, well, yeah, so I obviously disagree with that, but I, the, a way that maybe I could agree with that is if you could make the case that your conclusions about God's properties are necessary conclusions. In, in other words, no reasonable person could come up with any other possibility. Because if you can come up with some other possibility, then you can't be sure that you're right. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, yes, that, that's fine, right? For, and for the purposes of this show, I'm, I'm not trying to argue that my conception of God is true, only that it's coherent. Um so I, I don't I don't know that that's really a problem, but it it is true that we need to show epistemic humility um, because there are some attributes when we get into details and um, arguing through philosophy or logic as to you know what what does it mean uh, for God to be eternal that the Bible just gives us enough information to conclude God is eternal, but in in terms of what sense. Is he eternal? Yeah, you can give arguments back and forth and conclude which one you think is right. But um, at the end of the day, you you should show epistemic humility that you know some Christians can take this position, whereas others can take this, and it might not be obvious which who's right on that uh, on that front. 
Okay, then you don't have a you don't actually have a property. That's I mean that's all I'm saying. You've got you've got some interesting speculation. You've got the start of a good fiction novel. Uh, I wish you well. Let's see how that goes. But if if the only thing you want to do is to show that you can invent a god that's coherent. I just don't think that's that big of an exercise. I can invent a god that's more coherent than the god of the Bible. So you're you're having to go through a lot of work to make your god coherent. I can do better. So what? Well, there, yeah, it's it, there isn't more coherent. It's either coherent or it's not. Oh, so you can, you can invent <laughs> another concept of, of god that is coherent. Um, Let's put it this way. I could invent a God where I wouldn't have to work nearly as hard to make it coherent as what you're having to do. So, um, you know, once again, I, if, if, if the only thing we're saying is that it doesn't have any internal contradictions, which I obviously think that this God does have plenty of internal contradictions. Um, just in clarifying some things up front, I think that we've outlined a few potential places where there are internal contradictions, but I, I, I can grant you uh, the, your coherence theory and you still don't have a God. Do you mean like, uh, yeah, I haven't proved that my particular coherent notion is correct versus another coherent right. notion, right? Like, in right. yeah, sure. Like sure. I said, I can, I can make a better God. So what? Yes, you could make a better one in the sense that you said, like uh, there are, you know, for example, the Bible gives us the Trinity. This is something that takes extra effort. Um, yeah, my God, issue. my God didn't have any kind of Trinity. You don't have to worry about that. It's just the uni Unitarian. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, of course. Also, there are... I would not try to make my God perfect. My, my God is not perfect. Why would a perfect being create me? No, my God is more like me. Uh, he has my attributes, only bigger. That explains a lot. You know, that, <laughs> that explains why my God is a jealous God who likes revenge. Um, we, we, don't have to, we don't have to think about that. Um, it, it, my God doesn't have to be all powerful, but he's really powerful. I mean, he can knock you out. Sure. Uh, he could do a lot of things. So, yeah. I mean, I could... Zeus I can, is logically coherent. Right. Yeah, I, can, I can solve a lot of the problems that the Christian God has uh, by making a far more, I think, coherent God. All I'm saying, though, is we just have uh, two different starting points of, of different works of fiction. Why should I care that uh, your God is coherent? Yeah. Um, okay. That that's a fair point. So I think that's where we need to get into the arguments for the existence of one particular coherent notion of God versus versus another. Um, yeah. That that's why the evidence and and logical argumentation uh, to favor um, a traditional concept of God or a the Christian God in particular um, is needed. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I would agree with that point. It depends on the whether there's evidence to fav to rule out certain notions of God or, or that sort of thing versus uh, accepting another one. <laughs> okay, uh, so I <laughs> that was easy. Audience, yeah, so <laughs> getting into the one of those arguments or one of those um, arguments that I think does prove, um, at the very least, not necessarily a Christian God, but a uh, what's called a maximally great being. Um, 
and with the maximum grade being the way the definition. Well, I, I shouldn't get into that now. You'll, well, you'll actually, see that. You, you should because that's that's my second objection. So let me just lay out my second objection, uh, and you can decide whether you want to get into it or not. My second objection is I simply cannot conceive of your God. So, if um, part of your argument, which I know that you're, we're going to get into the ontological argument in the last part, and I'm not trying to force a discussion of that, but in order to understand my objections, you have to I have to skip ahead a little bit. Um, I do I am incapable of conceiving of the God you describe, and part of your argument with the ontological argument, well, and with modal logic um, uh, more specifically, uh, is that we, we start with what can be logically conceived. And I disagree with you that the things that you have outlined can be logically conceived. Now, let me, let me take a half step back. You might can conceive of them. I cannot. I can't I can't draw a picture in my mind of what that would be like. I can't understand it. It just gives me a headache. Uh, it does not comport with how I uh, believe the world works uh, or how people work. Um, and so I can't follow the the logic through. So okay. the fact that your God is inconceivable to me, even if he were real, still means that there is no point of contact between he and I. Okay, so so basically, then what you're saying is that there is inevitably some logical contradiction that's entailed. Um, so the first, no. the first thing I want to let me let me be clear about that. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying that to me, there is, and I might just be a bad logician. So uh, it could be that there is nothing logically contradictory about your God. But it is contradictory enough to me that I cannot grapple with your God. But that's okay. I don't I don't have to prove that there is ultimately something logically contradictory. I only have to prove that it is beyond my capability. No, so you you need to prove that to you there is a logical contradiction, um, and then if you're found out that actually that's not a logical contradiction, then that removes that that problem but essentially whether well, you want to sure, or not, yeah you you're in effect saying that for example even though this isn't a part of this show proper but like the trinity is to you it's logically contradictory or something or yes okay so so for forgetting about the trinity for a second because that's that's not there there are other things about your god that are logically contradictory almost everything gotcha okay gotcha. once again to me so i'm not making a broader claim that i am right but i can only deal with your god with the capacity that i have and right. with the capacity that i have your god cannot exist okay so i'm i'm trying to deal with with you uh, where you're at and see if I can get you where you're at to change where you're at. <laughs> good, good luck so with that. that. <laughs> um, okay, so so in the first place, you kind of answered this, but this was going to be my question. Is it, um, does the contradiction, are there contradictions in the individual attributes? Uh, yes. Or do you think it's how the attributes relate to each other in some way? Yes. So both? 
the U.S. Okay. And like I said, I think almost everything about this god is logically contradictory. Okay. Okay. So, it, by the way, this is not me question. as skeptic talking. This is this is part of what I had to come to as a Christian and just acknowledge the fact that this god that people are talking about it doesn't make any sense to me. Okay. Okay. So that's fine. Second second question before I try to address anything. Um, now you you hinted at this. Is it what you said? It doesn't make sense the way the world works and what you know about humans or people or something, something to that effect. You said yes. something like that. So is it primarily the intrinsic attributes of God? Or the, the attributes of God are intrinsically contradictory, um, or is it merely just that it's? extrinsic like he, his attributes are contradicting extrinsic facts to him like the problem you know the problem of evil is an extrinsic fact that con that's said to contradict god's omnibenevolence or something like that or is it both and it, I'm getting your answer again i would have to say it's both okay um okay so in this show i'm not necessarily going to address uh the extrinsic stuff because i see that as a separate we can do a show on the problem of evil or we've done it quite a lot or the hiddenness of god you know something like that um this is let's sort of focus on the intrinsic so okay so you okay, say but i don't think it's going to be that easy to separate out i i understand what you're saying and i, I kind of halfway agree with you but i don't it's not it's not that easy because when you when you say god is omnibenevolent benevolent that's that's an intrinsic character characteristic um and yeah, you say no, he's, it's, he's it's omniscient how his, how his attributes relate to an extrinsic fact and there's a contradiction between the two right like, okay yeah that, that's all i meant by that all right um, look i'm trying to stay true to the the you know what you're what you're putting out there so i'm not trying to be an obscurantist here and um no, no, I, I think this is this is good. This will help so help the audience to understand because what we're talking about here is look, there, there's a the logical incoherence of the concept of God as as an argument for atheism. And and this is primarily just an intrinsic thing. How how does God's attributes make sense um, in isolation versus how they make sense related to each other. And then there are, there are other arguments for atheism based on extra, that his attributes like omnibenevolence and omnipotence are contradictory to extrinsic facts. About okay. So let me, let me give you an example of an intrinsic, I think this would be intrinsic, uh, idea that I can't wrap my mind around. Okay. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's contradictory or not. But okay. I can't. I can't get my mind around it. And I've tried for for years. Um, God existing eternally in in reverse. So I can wrap my head around forward eternality. I can't wrap my head around backward eternality. Um, so especially with something like intelligence. Now, <laughs> I. I, I told myself that I wouldn't get into this because I'll get myself in trouble pretty quick. But uh, so let me let me just give you and uh, the Christian audience something that you can use to beat me up on this week. Uh, I actually do believe in uh, material eternality. 
which is to say, I, I reverse. Yes. <laughs> so I believe that I believe that matter and energy, in some form, has always existed. Um, don't ask me to show my work. Uh, I I can. I can cite a physicist or two, <laughs> but then you can cite other physicists. And so I'm not going to get into that battle. Um, uh, you took away my, I was about to get into retro causation, but I was going to agree with you. I was about to say like, wow, great. <laughs> um, but yeah. you so, have consistent standards. It's okay. I did. Yes. I, I, I understand this. This is why I'm, I'm handing you a, a golden platter here. <laughs> um, I recognize that there might be, uh, some inconsistency here that said, I believe it is, it is much easier for me to wrap my mind around the uh, eternality of material than uh, it is for uh, the eternality of uh, a conscious mind. Um, so, uh, hello, Tara. Um, <laughs> so remember you uh, invited her yeah. <laughs> so you, you'll deal with her in the comments on the <laughs> so if you want to see what it looks like uh, for Tara to turn against me <laughs> this is the one that, yeah hello <laughs> so um so yeah um here's here's how it works in my mind so that you can get inside of it a little bit uh matter and energy are just states you know they they don't have to think or do they're not conscious of anything they just are uh and so a, a state sitting around and or changing and morphing uh over a period of eternity from eternity to eternity that that doesn't hurt my head quite as much as an intelligence sitting around from the beginning of forever uh, until he decides to do something. So if you say that God is timeless and spaceless, but yet we have time um, and space and, you know, let's call it planet heaven, you know, whatever heaven is, because it's a place where people who are bound by time and space can go. Um we have to imagine the moment before heaven. So what is the universe? Well, it's just God sitting around, sitting around the, the great nothing because there is no vacuum. It's just God. And then, you know, one day after a trillion, uh, trillion lifetimes, he says, you know, I'm bored. <laughs> I, I need to, I got to do something. <laughs> I've got this, uh, this sitting around is driving me bonkers. <laughs> You know, but of course the Christian would say, well, that's not at all what happened, but this yeah. is kind of what you almost have to imagine if you imagine a being that's that was there forever, because you can always ask, well, what was he doing before then? What was he doing before creation? What was he doing before heaven? Well, what was he doing before then? He was just doing nothing or everything, or it, that makes no sense to me. I cannot even... I cannot wrap my words around it, let alone wrap my mind around it. Beautiful. I agree 100%, my friend. Um, yeah, I, I think this is one of the reasons why we can't say God is uh, everlasting in the past. Um, 
it, it, but the, the same problem applies to materialism as well. Obviously, we can just say, well, what was matter doing before that? What was matter doing before that? I think the only difference that you appeal to is some kind of psychological factor, like, oh, but God, it would be so boring for him to sit. And, um, well, that's not the but, only difference, but that's the one I appealed to then. I would also appeal to a, a more concrete difference of we've seen uh, – consciousness emerge from matter we've never seen matter emerge from consciousness so if you start with consciousness i would have to wonder well how do we get the matter but if we start with matter i don't have to wonder how we get the consciousness okay okay so uh, that would that so that's would, a that's, a, that's a more scientific more concrete argument that it's it doesn't do us any good to argue about but so there there is a another reason why it makes more sense for matter to be eternal than consciousness. But I, I am focusing on the, the more psychological aspect right now. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, in the first place we can just say, well, God, as a actual great being, God would never get bored over eternity. I mean, we're going to be existing forever into the future and God's, we're not going to get bored. Um, so it would be this, the same issue, but yet you don't have a problem imagining it going forward for eternality. So I, I would just say, well, yeah, but it's, it's different though going forward because going forward we've got lots of people and lots of things and lots of options and stuff going on. But going backwards, there was nothing. Yeah, but and, God, and, and well, so you would kind of have to. There's three people, um, but but yeah, God God isn't dependent. This is related to God being a savior, right? God's not dependent on creation to not be, he didn't create because, oh, I'm, I'm bored. I need something to do. Um, he just made a free will choice. He could have made a free will choice for no reason at all. Or he, I think he did have a reason. Um, God has to have a reason, but, um, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be because, oh, he was bored after an infinite amount of, prior moments um but i, I, I don't, i'm not I'm making the case that i'm right i'm not making a claim of truth here i'm just trying to explain one of the things that i cannot wrap my mind or, uh, around uh, yeah, no, one of I, these interesting characteristics yeah no, i'm just trying i let me make this clear i i agree with you about this like i i don't agree that god is everlasting in the past um but uh, I'm just trying to provide you with a way where it could be coherent, potentially, based on the psychological boredom argument um, that, that you raise. It, you know, like there is that argument that they would say, but yeah, but God it doesn't get bored. Um, he's perfectly self-sufficient and that sort of thing and happy, you know, with what, with existing alone. Um, but, but yeah, it, to get back to the main point, I, I do agree with you. This is why I think that without creation, God is timeless. Like this is, William Lane Craig has been very influential in my life. Obviously people know about Molinism. There are three, three main things why I really respect him and look up to him. And he's had an influence on my life with his research. So there's the Molinism thing that everybody knows. There's also his work on, on time, God's relationship to time and that sort of thing, which I, I think he has a very, interesting and, and unique um take on and you know he spent 13 years researching this question alone uh, and then the other is his use of logical deductive arguments and that sort of thing um yeah for whatever reason he was 
the one who influenced me in, in those three strong ways. Um, so, so yeah, he's, he's timeless without creation, but then with creation, he's temporal. And I think he's temporal in the same sense that we are. It's a very technical debate. I mean, uh, he's gotten into debates with Hugh Ross, who has a, a different version and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, I, I think God would have to be temporal, um, given that an A theory of time is true about creation. Um, and because otherwise he wouldn't, we would have knowledge of certain propositional truths that it would be logically impossible for God to, to know. He wouldn't know that today is Saturday, April 6th or something like that. So it depends on what view of time you, in general, you take. Um, if, if you take a B theory, then okay, we're, we're timeless. Therefore God just exists timelessly. And there, there is no moment to moment, right? So this is an approach if you want to say God is just timeless uh, and continues to be timeless, the psychological thing is never an issue. He's, he just exists all at once as a four-dimensional block type thing. Um, right. That's the that's the I that's the one I used to try to take, but that just doesn't make any sense to me because what that what that is is a God who um, has never done anything or had a thought except for what he's doing and thinking right now. This is, um, so he, all that has occurred is all that has ever occurred for, for this God. Yeah. He, he, everything, he's having every thought, um, all at the same time. Right. And um, always has. So you think it's logically incoherent to be timeless to speak of uh, timelessness it just well yes for me for for me because i can't wrap my mind around that concept i don't that that doesn't make any sense to me that's just making animal noises as as far as i'm concerned so um yeah i i can't go there and if if that's if that's the god of the christian i'm i'm already out because i i can't pretend that that makes any sense to me yeah I, and i I agree with you now, in a sense. Although I, I do agree, I do think that there was a phase. I don't know how to say it without using time, but God was timeless without creation. Uh, so I, I do have to defend God's timelessness to some extent. And I guess I would just point out, in terms of the coherence, the majority of scientists disagree with me and you in terms of time now right they they all take what's called a b they don't all take it but the vast majority of them atheists and skeptics will take what's called a b theory of time they, they view us as being timeless four-dimensional worms if you remember from yes um so you don't see any does that first of all does that help at all i don't know authority I, but so but yeah no i'm positive. i'm familiar with it i've i've read i've read enough physics for that Still doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> okay, so this okay. is this is this is my limitation um, in in really being able to grasp the material. Um, it's it's I can't think theoretical enough to to make any sense of that. But let let's say that it's it's it let's say that it is sensible in some way that it's possible. It still is unrelatable. And the yeah. thing is, God is supposed to be a relatable being. And so once again, if that's true, and even if it didn't make sense, 
it's still not possible for me to relate to this God. Yeah, and, that, and that's why I don't think it's possible. God isn't timeless with creation. He, he has to be temporal in order to have relations. I mean, it, ha, I mean, my goodness, he entered into time as Jesus through the incarnation. It, even if you want to take this time... Right, but um, even if you say before of, creation, I don't, I don't buy the before. Don't well, but, be but, very careful with, without creation because there is no okay. before, before. Yeah, but there is. You see, that that's the thing. So I understand where you're going there, um, and you're not wrong, uh, technically speaking. But I'm I'm trying to help you and the audience understand my limitation in, in being able to talk about this sensibly. Yeah. So okay. I'm trying to. I'm trying to see, I think, okay, let, let me try, just about timeless, timelessness, it, it, forget about God or anything, like, uh, you know, in terms of, it's, it's hard for you to understand him having thoughts, right, because for us, thinking is sequential and all right. of this. Um, okay, so, so let's think of a computer in the first place. I know it, it doesn't think, um, although you probably would believe in artificial intelligence so yeah but it has it has programs that are executed sequentially correct right okay great so there are simultaneous workings within a computer for example um so the same could apply to a mind we could have simultaneous um knowledge and you've already explained that well you can have knowledge for example um at, across distances of space um okay so if god's mind and it you know same with my computer my computer is interacting with you you're you're in what new york or something right so it can it can perform functions with people at dist spatial distances and it could also then we could just take the temporal dimension and okay it, it's interacting with facts or something through temporal duration it, it my computer is processing the fact that david is talking to me on april 6th and it's also processing the fact that um you know our conversation with lewis next week um okay well that's just god just extrapolate out everything timelessly so everything is happening simultaneously um in this four dimension he's having all his thoughts yeah, that analogy doesn't work though because it it's not doing it simultaneously. So if you want yeah. to talk about simultaneous computing, you're going to need to be talking about quantum computing, which is still a thing that we're we're working on and trying to make happen. Um, I, I suspect that we we will, and we've got some, you know, we've got a good start on that. But that's that's really what what you would have to be talking about. Computing right now is a series of instructions that are, by and large, run sequentially. Uh, you can say that they're run simultaneously in the sense that you have programs that are multi-threaded, yeah, and then you can have computers that have multi-cores, but no matter how multi-threaded and multi-core it is, at some point, this still has to be yeah. a sense where it's running uh, temporal instructions one after the other. You can't run instruction B before instruction A and end up res with result C. Yeah, um, yeah, the, there is no, so I, I was just giving you the ladder to try and, as a start, 
um, as to what it might mean and, and the way that, you know, physicists and that sort of thing envision it. But obviously there is no analogy because we, every analogy is in time. Um, this so is, I, this yeah, is exactly the problem. So the thing that I was trying to say, uh, earlier, and this is, this is kind of one of the things that I tried as a Christian to understand this is, okay, so we're, we're on planet earth and our clocks run at a certain rate and, uh, you know, our day cycles last a certain amount of time because the earth spins at a certain rate and it revolves and uh, rotates around the sun uh, at a certain rate. And these are the things that, um, you know, these are some of the factors for how time passes for us. However, if you go to Alpha Centauri and to, you know, the third planet there, you know, maybe that's a bigger planet with a different rate uh, of revolution. It takes a lot longer to go around the sun. Um, and so, you know, they might have 28 hour days and years that, you know, are 500 days a year instead of 365. And uh, also clock, uh, speaking of clocks, because it's, you know, different place, maybe different gravitational forces. Time might run slower there or faster, um, but you're still so you're you're, still you're not in Earth time, but you're still experiencing time. It it's just defined differently. So the way I thought about this as a Christian was maybe there's something called heaven time. Cosmic you know, time. so you can say that God invented our space time. But that doesn't mean that he wasn't also inside of some space time that's just different from ours. Yeah, so that would be the position of people like Hugh Ross or something where there's like a hyper dimension of time. The, the point is there's still temporal sequence. Even right. In it's, it's still time. It's just not right. our time. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So that I, I don't appeal to that kind of thing as though it, it gets us out of the the issue. But I... Yeah, so I, I don't know how if if you're just not gonna say it makes sense for something to be timeless. Um, yeah, I, I guess I just ha I can't reason through an analogy um, in a temporal from temporal operations that's going to be perfectly that's going to illustrate you know what it is to be timelessness because I can't either. Process, but it is logically coherent um, and and. It should at least give you pause for thought that the majority of atheist scientists agree with me that, yeah, this is a coherent notion. Um, and they don't have any problem uh, conceiving of such, an, such but a thing. But they're smarter than me. I have no problem saying that. But once again, even if it were coherent, which I acknowledge is possible, it's still not relatable. I, and so I've... Have you, have you read Brian... Um, yeah, well, I can, I don't know if, if you're actually interested in this, I can make recommendation. Like I think Brian green is, has, yeah, he's one of my it. favorites. Okay. Uh, so if you already read him, I oh, guess yeah. you found him, uh, not persuasive. Um, no, I, I find him, like I said, he's one of my favorites. Uh, I would love to think his thoughts can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but but I but I like hearing him talk and seeing him write. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that you know. Look, I've read Einstein, so what? Yeah. <laughs> trust trust me, I'm not about to expound on his theories. Um, but I've read. I like physics. 
um, you know, I, I play around at physics world. Um, you know, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make myself sound smarter than I am. If anything, I am admitting that, um, I, you know, that's just the wrong arena for me. I understand every one in every three words, uh, <laughs> at physics world. That doesn't mean that I don't like reading it. Okay. So, so why don't we do, why don't you do this then? So, okay. I respect that you just can't get there kind of thing. Um, even after reading, you know, the helpful analogies, the imperfect, every analogy is like a leaky bucket, right? It can only hold water. So, so long. That's a, a quote from my, someone I respect, Houston Smith. Um, but I think that you can at least do this then maybe, maybe we can do this to progress. Cause I get that you just aren't capable of of imagining or conceiving this, even after listening to credible atheist experts that you you respect and that sort of thing. But maybe then I would say, okay, well then you should be agnostic. Don't. It's not um, it's not uh, coherent to you, but you know enough um, to know that you don't have an, a right to to say that it's not coherent. And then based on that, you'll be open to something like the, you wouldn't use God's timelessness or eternality as an objection against God to not believe. You would just say, well, I, I don't know the answer to the eternal thing, but I'm not going to use it as a, as a reason to dismiss the ontological argument or, or you know, the, the existence of God. I'm just going to admit defeat. Like, I, for the moment... I don't know. Maybe God could be timeless. I, I have no idea. It doesn't make but sense to me. I but think I, I think I've already acknowledged uh, something like that a number of times. I'm not I'm not claim making a truth claim here. I am making a claim about my ability to conceive of it, okay. and that does that is going to play an important role in upcoming arguments about the uh, ontological argument. So is is this? Let me ask this then. And and I'm I'm trying to sincerely dialogue here so that this will be helpful when we get to the ontological argument and that sort of thing is all you're going to be saying is that it's incoherent to me um versus actually being incoherent just a yes or no uh, i don't know if that's all that i will be saying but that's all that i'm saying about the uh temporality uh, temporality of god okay um okay. I, you know, I might make a stronger claim, for instance, about the spatiality of God. Okay. Because I, I think that is also uh, contradictory, and that I, I feel like I've maybe got a a better grasp on space than I do of time. <laughs> and so, uh, that said, um, I'm no physicist. Then again, neither are you. Um, so. But if if you're telling me that God is fully active and conscious in all locations and that he has no location, um, but he's everywhere at once, but we're not talking about size. So we're not saying that God is so big that he just encompasses all the space. Yeah, he's not. Then, then, then I think. Then I think that it's just double speak, and you're just doing magic talk. Yeah, well, you're, I, you're I, just saying a lot of things that are contradictory that without any kind of payoff. Well, I'm just saying he's causally active. He doesn't need to be present there to be causally active. Like I, one of the examples I 
proved is uh, quantum entang entanglement goes against our our notions of um, you know causing they're they're at such immense distances there there doesn't need to be a traditional exchange of energy and that sort of thing or um, things effects can be caused um, even when there's seemingly no physical traditional physical interaction um that we would typically look at so that okay so the, if, if you're saying that god is somehow you know a bunch of conscious entangled particles um i i could go with that but you're saying that god's not physical so you're right that's not what I'm, you're saying i'm just so i don't i don't think that's a fair right. analogy because i wouldn't have a problem if you said god is a bunch of entangled uh particles Okay, but the entangled particles proves that it's possible to be causally active in a, a way outside of your traditional understanding of how cause and physical cause and effect takes place. Well, I don't know that it proves that. I think, I think you're giving too much to entanglement. We, there's, I don't know that we know how it works. We know that right. it does work um, because we can, we can experiment and, you know, you know, adjust adjust the spin on this one and adjust it on that one. So we get, I mean, we can see it functionally, but we're a long ways from understanding it. Right. Okay. Um, but I'm I'm just trying to it at the very least broadens your horizon. Like if we were 200 years ago, you would not be even open to that. You would probably just say, nope, no, that's not the way it works. It works like billiard balls, boom, boom. Boom! Like you know, tr a traditional physicalist. But for all we know, it does, uh, because it, we don't, we don't, we don't actually know what the connective tissue is for those entangled particles. Okay. So correct, and I, I do take a deterministic view to quantum physics as well. So um, I'm kind of being a bit of a hypocrite, but I, in this, I'm just trying to argue for trying to get you to expand your notion of coherence. I'm, I'm addressing you as an individual and that sort of thing. And right. Look, but I, so I, I, I understand probably as much as you do about quantum physics, but quantum physics is not magic. So yeah. I don't, I don't look at it as, as an excuse to say, therefore magic. I, I see a lot of things that we don't fully understand. And I, I know enough about it to not rule out the fact that there are that the idea that there might be very understandable causative uh, properties going on that that make these things work. But we don't have the we don't have the tools to be able to look that deeply into it. It's too too small, and there's only so far we can look into the world of the super small right now. Okay, okay, um, I, I I can work with even that actually. Okay, so then you would admit it's possible for us to say, look, we, we just don't know how God is causally active at all points in space. Um, but there, there could be some reason. Uh, once we figure it out, it'll, it'll all make sense. Well, no. Um, so, I, the, I, no, because the difference, the difference here is when we're talking about quantum physics, we're still talking about physics. We're still talking about matter and energy. We're, we're talking about material, physical things. When we're talking about God, we're not talking about anything like that. So I don't even know what material we're working with when we're talking about God. Uh, but the rules of quantum entanglement can't, you know, we can't 
apply them to God because that only applies as far as we know to physical things. And we don't know what would apply to God. Okay, so if we don't know what would apply to God, why are we have no business ruling out the fact that he could be causally active in a non-physical well, but we have way. we also have no reason to believe it. It doesn't make any sense to believe it either. And so I don't believe it. I, 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 I'm not sure that I am saying it's impossible in a science fiction-y kind of way. Um, you're just but, not making it. You're not making a, a truth claim in this regard. You're right, just saying, and, and you, you are making a truth claim. That's the thing. The Christian is making a truth claim, and I am saying, how could you possibly know that? You cannot appeal to quantum entanglement for that claim. I, I already said there are. I appealed things for limited purposes, and I, I already explained why I was appealing to that. Right. So. Yes, I, I will admit, I don't, we don't know on a mechanistic level how this, this is the problem of interactionism between the soul and the body, for example, right? Yes. Um, apart from just saying, look, it's a direct or immediate cause and effect that takes place. There, there are no intermediary mechanisms to explain in the first place. Um, so, you know, when you look for that, like you do at the level of physics and that sort of thing, it, it's a misnomer in the first place. Um, but I'm, I'm just trying to say, like, if, if you're you as a person, that's what that's the level you want me to address you on it. Yes. If you know enough to know that, look, we, I just don't know enough to rule out these things, then you are saying, look, I, I can't rule out this as being logically contradictory, a, a non-physical substance causing a physical effect. I can't make a claim that that is logically incoherent. Then that then that's good enough for me. Like I, I would just say, like okay, I, I get that it's logically incoherent to you, but just ignore that, uh, like the Christians do. Just say, well, that it's a mystery because I know enough to know that what I think is logically incoherent is not good enough to make a conclusion that it is in fact logically incoherent. And and that'll but I, I don't this live my, I don't live my life that way though by um, accepting things that I cannot prove as just mysteries. I don't I don't have any reason to believe the claim. And I, I think that this part you're 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 not addressing. I'm not making the claim. You're making the claim that this is God's attribute. I am saying you have no way of knowing that and you have given me no reason to believe that. And what I understand about the universe doesn't work that way. And, you know, what I understand about your claim, you're not even making claims that I can really analogize with what I know about the universe, because we're not even talking about matter anymore. So, right. you know, if if what you are saying is true, you have no way of showing it. I have I have no way of validating it and I have no reason to believe it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's where you need to address the evidences and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, to to show that something is coherent versus incoherent, you, there needs to be a logical contradiction that's that's entailed uh, once we properly understand the concepts that are involved in that sort of thing, right? So that that's what I'm trying to get you to see is that you don't 
have an actual provable contradiction. So therefore, you should be open to the fact that it could be coherent. And okay. then that'll make you open to the ontological argument. Well, here's where I've got to show some of my frustration, because this is this is kind of how these arguments on on this type of subject go. I mean, the, the, the Christian makes claims, person says that's not how the universe works as far as I understand it, and then the Christian starts appealing to quantum physics. And my my uh, belief is and has been that once the Christian starts appealing to quantum physics, they have lost the argument. Just stop it. Because now what you're really saying is, well, anything's possible. There is no such thing as something that's un- contradictory. You can't prove that there's anything that's contradictory because somewhere in the uh, quantum physics, uh, quantum foam, uh, oatmeal, cookie cutter kind of way, everything's possible. And I, I have no patience uh, for that kind of argument, no use for it at all. I don't it, it doesn't get us anywhere. It just kind of gets you off the hook temporarily because you know that the person you're talking to doesn't know that much about quantum physics because nobody does. Okay, and so it's okay. it's just kind of a get out of jail free card for a bad argument. Okay, so so David, let's try a different approach then because it this is frustrating you or whatever. So do you believe that do you believe in anything um, that something is coherent, um, but not, do you believe in anything that is logically coherent to you, um, but that doesn't actually exist in the universe? Something that's logically coherent to me that doesn't exist in the universe. Okay. Um, yeah, I think I know where you're going here. So I don't think I would, I wouldn't put it that way. So I don't know. Maybe if we talked for another two hours, we can come up with something. Um, I think in the past, we've successfully used the example of unicorns. Sure. Um, and I've, um, I've explained why uh, I wouldn't say that unicorns are logically coherent and why you would. And so just to help the audience understand the difference between how we look at this, you look at uh, horses and you say, OK, we've got horses. Um, and you look at uh, horned creatures and say, well, okay, we've got horned creatures. And um, yeah, we've got creatures with single horns, like a rhino. So, okay, we've got single horned creatures. And you look at uh, wings and you say, well, we've got creatures uh, with wings. Uh, you know, large animals like an ostrich have got wings. So you just put it all together and remix those facts and boom, unicorns, logical. And I would look at that and say, no, it's not. <laughs> there's there's not one part of that process that you've gone through in your mind that makes that logically possible. Um, there might be a very good reason why we have never seen a unicorn here and why it is utterly impossible for a unicorn to exist in the uni- universe. And you can't just take a bunch of facts and remix them uh, and say, well, so any kind of way we remix this is logically possible. I don't buy that for a moment. You have not met your uh, burden of proof that that is a possible thing just because individual elements of a thing exist. So I do not look at it that way, and I do not think in terms of, well, this thing that I imagine in my mind is logically possible. I don't know if it's logically possible or not, and neither do you. Oh, uh, yes, I do. Um yeah, I'm, I'm appealing to your own modal evaluating faculties, and that's what those examples are meant to evoke. And I, I mean, I don't even need to say it's just logically possible. I think it's physically possible, given our laws of nature and 
everything in reality. I mean, the, I, I don't know why you would, why, why is it impossible to envision a horse uh, with a horn on its head? What, what physically rules that out from possibly coming into effect? I don't have to know the answer to that. So once again, this is this is this is one of the differences between how we evaluate truth claims. I don't need to know um, why it's not possible. I am not saying it's not possible. I am saying that we don't have any right to say that it is possible. We don't know. Just because you can imagine it doesn't mean that it's possible. There may be a good reason why it's not possible. Okay, um, so yeah, I, I just got to appeal to the, it, it, it's ultimately coming down to the fact, yeah, I, I think our modal evaluating faculties have been proven to be generally reliable uh, to the sense where we can trust them. To well, our modal us. evaluating faculties get, gets us gods that throw lightning bolts. That's a coherent concept. Zeus is coherent. Right, you right. So I, yeah, so I, I don't really have any <laughs> any use for your your modal uh, evaluating faculties if if yeah. what you give me is Zeus. <laughs> so. Well, do, do you think Zeus is logically incoherent? He yes. may exist. <laughs> yeah, I I actually I actually think that Zeus uh, is logically incoherent, probably slightly less logically incoherent than the Christian God. Okay. Uh, but I I actually think that all gods as as I have heard and understand God's stories are incoherent. I have never heard one that I thought to myself, eh, that one's possible. Okay. Um, so, yeah, then I, I, I don't see uh, progress being made then because the way you, the rejection is just, yeah, it, it's, it is. Well, but don't talk about the rejection. It's, it's your, ex yeah. your acceptance of things that you can't prove. Mm -hmm. Val would agree with me about that. He doesn't agree with the terminology I use, but he, he would agree with the way I'm proving conceivability. Okay, but um, Val's, Val's not on the show. No, no, but I'm, I'm just, I know that you respect him and that sort of thing. So I like, do. Oh, oh, <laughs> I thought, why would he agree with that wacko Christian Dale um, on this? So this is a way, but uh, when we get to the ontological argument, I, I told you I'm going to have a curveball. I'm not necessarily just going to be appealing to modal evaluating faculties. I'm going to see if there's something I can do to wiggle you um, into accepting that first premise of the argument. I would, I would like to see that. <laughs> so if you can do better with the ontological argument than the many people who have tried and failed, I might add, yeah. um, you know, that would be, that would be worth, uh, you know, calling in the press for. I don't think that you're. I don't think that you're gonna do it. But I love the fact that you're going to uh, give me something that I haven't thought about or encountered uh, with it. Try. But I, I think, I think the ontological argument is is such a failed argument that um, you know, even uh, even even uh, some of the great thinkers uh, have have had to reject it. Uh, and the fact that it's had to be rejiggered and repaired so much over time is an indication that there's something wrong with it. Because if it, if it was that good of an argument, you wouldn't have to keep fixing it. Well, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I'm not, I won't respond to that. Okay. Fair enough. Um, yeah. Well, that'll be an interesting show on the ontological argument. Um, for the for the purposes, I'll, I'll stop addressing David and, and just sort of. I think we've 
we've gotten to the end here, but just for the sake of the the audience, I'll just appeal to you guys. Do you you think um, you can conceive of something that's logically coherent that doesn't actually exist? I I think that our modal evaluating faculties do allow us to do this. It's logically coherent that Dale put on uh, a red shirt on April 6th at 11 a.m. Um, as opposed to a blue shirt um, on April 6th at 11 a.m. And I would say the oh, audience okay. has no idea whether that's logically coherent or not because they don't even know whether Dale had a red and a blue shirt uh, at the time or whether Dale could have afforded a red or and blue shirt at the same time in his closet. There are all kinds of things that would make that not possible that the audience doesn't have access to. I like the discussion question, though. Yeah. So, if guys, and, and- if you have listened this far... Please take Dale up on his question. Let me restate it to make sure I understand it. Do you think that uh, a thing uh, is logically possible that does not exist uh, in any universe at this time? Uh, Its existence is not the issue. It's whether it's logically possible. Um, I think that's a good question, but I would like to add my own question to that, which is, do you think that you can know for certain what is logically possible uh so i or, think or that no one a balance of probabilities let's let's make it a weaker plan and see what people think okay um because because i think the pushback that i've been giving you right now is we don't know what's logically possible and we can't determine what's logically possible just because you have a fertile imagination and you can imagine things that you think make sense what we think makes sense is not what determines what's possible. So are you only objecting to my use of modal evaluating faculties in when it's in when I use it in the one hundred percent degree of knowledge? Like if I said I was ninety nine percent, you'd be like, okay, that that's cool. Uh, I, I think that would be cooler. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I don't I don't necessarily claim it has to be 100 percent it could be 51 percent um, based on your modal evaluating faculties um, okay so yeah, you're just you're just, well if if what you're saying is you're just taking your best guess about what's logically possible then great um, I, I take my best guesses about what's possible too but I don't take that as a way of saying Therefore, it is, in fact, logically possible. Just, a, just a, an example of something that I don't know, and I speculate on, and I go back and forth depending on the day. So ask me today, I'll give you one answer. Ask me tomorrow, I'll give you another. Uh, are there uh, aliens uh, with with human-like intelligence or greater? Uh, human, humanoid-style um, sentient alien beings? Um it, it's a fun question to debate at night when you're half drunk. But, but the fact of the matter is, no matter what powers you bring to bear on that subject, you do not know whether it is possible or not. Okay, so, so let me rephrase the question then to what I'm actually trying to ask. The, the question for the audience is, do, do you um, believe that you can have 50.01% or more knowledge, um, that something is logically coherent, um, i.e. logically possible, uh, it means the same thing, um, but does not actually obtain or exist, um, in the actual universe. 
and I, I gave the example of my red versus blue shirt. Um, David and I, David exposed sort of a difference in what we mean by logically coherent because he's saying, well, maybe you can't afford a blue shirt. That, that doesn't matter. It's still coherent that I could have afforded it and, and worn a red shirt or something like that. So those factual distinctions don't speak to logical co strict logical coherence. It does. You just need to add more factual distinctions. There may not have been any red shirts in your size in the world on the day that you were buying shirts. It may simply not have been possible for you to own a red shirt. You're, you're, you're just not taking enough of those factors into consideration. No, I, I think you are not. I mean, it, it's logically possible I could afford or there was a shirt in my size. I mean, it, there's a possible world where but there was you were, a shirt. But you were asking us specifically, could it have happened on that day that you picked a red one instead of a blue one? And I'm saying we don't have enough information to know whether you could have. In the actual world, perhaps. Yeah, that, that's, an, that's a question. I'm not asking you to say, can you know if I'm actually wearing one or not? Um, where those factual considerations would be relevant. I'm, I'm just saying there's a logical possible world because it, this is a, it's logically coherent that I could have had the proper money. I could have had... Um, all of the qualification or secondary facts that go into that could have obtained to make it possible that I was wearing a red shirt on April 6th at 11 at 11 a.m. as I talked to David about this. But, but yeah, that, okay, we, we disagree. That, that's great. Let's, let's see what the, the audience, what they think. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, and that's right. So you can also ask, you know, is there, is there a world where the cosmological constant is different so that um you know we're we're yep. 15 feet tall instead of um you know five five foot ten sort of thing um i mean it's it's kind of a an exercise of can you can you just is anything possible and i don't believe that anything is possible and i think that when you're talking about logical possibilities you have to be more constrained than just thinking in terms of, you know, any any kind of fanciful thing you can imagine is possible. Because, like, once again, I can come up with a science fiction-y kind of explanation to make almost anything possible. Uh, and so if that's your standard, uh, then I don't, I don't even see why we're bothering with modal logic at all. I, it, just just say that you think that anything's possible and therefore anything's probable and you know and that's I, I don't see i don't see how we get past that debate because we're just we're just limited only by your imagination no no but anything just because anything's possible which is true does not mean that anything's probable. Okay, but that's I don't I don't think it's true. But whether it is true or not, there's no way for you to suggest it's true. You, you well, I, I've just given one. I, I've taken away. Forget about unicorns or supernatural things. That that you know, the, a lot of the skeptics will have just an anti-supernatural bias and automatically go against that because they think only the laws of what is consistent with the laws of physics is logically possible. So okay, I, I don't care at this point. Let's just start with. I mean, my God, you're, my goodness, I'm, I'm sorry to use, you're saying that it's logically incoherent that Dale is wearing, is wearing a white shirt on April 6th at 11 a.m. 
and you you want people i'm sorry this is just yeah the, the, as a technical terminology this comes across as skeptical to the point of foolishness by the way i am wearing a white shirt so if you and i'm not going to trap you into saying well no I, I don't know if that's coherent or not it, it is i'm doing i'm wearing it right now so <laughs> um yeah I, I just want people to think think of that one example there's no quite it's consistent with the laws of nature if you're going to use your modal evaluating faculties to pronounce yeah that that's logically coherent that's that's what i'm doing and that's what i suggest is a generally at the very least a generally reliable way of coming to modal knowledge i i, I agree with the use of modal knowledge in the way that um you use it though to determine whether or not there is a god and when we get to the ontological argument I, I would just say that modal logic, modal logic um, is a bad tool, kind of like Bayes is a bad tool for trying to uh, do the sorts of things that you do with that. So I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of modal logic anyway, and I think that its uses uh, are specific and limited. And I, I think that a lot of Christians, including yourself, find it useful because it's a way that you can sneak in the concept of anything being possible and, and then giving your God a higher probability than he actually would get. Fair enough. All right, cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you have the last word because I, I initiated this week. So, uh, yeah, okay. yeah I, think it was, I think there was some good stuff for people to think about in there. So, Oh, let's be honest. This show stunk. I'm, I apologize to the audience. <laughs> it's like a crash Are you serious? Kind of. We, we, we uh, didn't do well. Um, we didn't, we didn't argue nearly enough. Uh, everything that I said this week was completely sincere. Um, yeah. well, that's, that, to me, that's, that's when it's a good show. Like I, I was going to be very careful and then trying to interact with you. Like I was sincerely it, trying to, I was also trying to, I was trying to give you a fair conversation about a thing that, um, you know, full well, a, I don't care about and B I'm not well versed on. Okay. So like you're, you're not, a, you're not happy unless it's polemical. That's your, that's your cup of tea. No, not really. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not happy pontificating about things that I don't uh, know a great deal about. Gotcha. So, uh, because of the nature of the way we have this set up, I kind of have to give an honest attempt um, at a conversation. This is my this is the best honest attempt that I can get. But I recognize that uh, I don't have a philosophy degree. You don't either, by the way. But right. I but I have to talk in a way as if I had more authority and knowledge on a subject than I do. Other. Otherwise, we could have ended this show right at the beginning and said, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed the conversation. I like the sincere, you know, trying to trying our best to attempt and give the best of both sides and trying to see if we can make progress. So, yeah. So, audience, second discussion question. Did this show suck as much as I think it did? <laughs> they'll, they'll just say yes, no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> you said it. It's got to be true. It's, no, it doesn't. <laughs> I don't. I am. I just. I. I owe you an apology, listeners. We're going to make it up to you next week. Who do we have on deck? All right, we have a special guest that I've uh, brought on board. He's um, Louis Dizon is coming on. He's. Uh, he was my my own personal adult Sunday school teacher. He's 
um, going for his PhD right now in ancient, I think in ancient Near Eastern um, languages at U of T. Um, so yeah, we, we've got about five different discussion topics about him. He, he's uh, quite interesting. Um, yes, and, but tell them why he's interesting. Don't don't bury the lead. Okay, uh, if you want me to hint. Uh, so so yeah, one of the topics that we're going to be addressing is something we've never discussed fully here, but it's uh, differences between Catholicism and Protestantism. So uh, Lewis, he, he was quite the ref little reformed, uh, you know, reformed Baptist uh, person. Um, he was known as the next James White uh, um, in apologetic circles. And um, recently, just as of last November, um, he was going through a period of about two years of struggling with Catholics on, on various doctrines and that sort of thing. And he, he announced that he has got convert, converted to Catholicism and rejected Protestantism and that sort of thing. So that, that's going to be one of the topics we're going to be discussing about. Um, he, he's given about four to five reasons for his conversion. But yeah, there's going to be other stuff. There's going to be questions about morality of, of the Old Testament that I know David's going to enjoy and Tara's going to like that and all that. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of good stuff on that show. Yeah, it's going to be a good show. Considered a makeup show. My apology to you, the listener, for this week. I, I don't apologize. I, I enjoyed the show. <laughs> uh, yeah, have a good week, everybody. All right, bye-bye. <laughs>